Episode 78 of The Passive Hang. It's Fayon here. Welcome back, guys. Today we have Tasha Louie featuring on the podcast. Tasha is a personal trainer and online coach who is based living in the San Francisco Bay Area and also the founder of Bender Movement. Tasha encourages the bending of possibilities, definitions, and ideas about yourself and fitness. You can see this on Tasha's Instagram page, where she shares her own journey in bending her own possibilities, perceptions of what her own body is capable of. Tasha recently went through a spinal injury and we discuss her rehabilitation process after the incident and how she approached it. And we also discuss her online coaching process, which is unique and thought provoking. I hope you guys enjoy. We're gonna get started. I'll see you in the episode. Hey guys, it's Fayon back here again with another episode of The Passive Hang. We welcome Tasha Louie onto the podcast. Tasha has, well, we've been messaging a bit back and forth over, I was digging back through our messages, um, you know, over the years. And so I'm really glad that we get to finally connect and I can actually find out a little bit more about your background um, and your approach to training because I really recommend for anyone listening to jump onto Tasha's Instagram page. It's um yeah, it's a it's a well of inspirational ideas and also I think um provokes consideration uh with thought as well with uh the words that you accompany with all the posts as well. So well we'll we'll start it with this. Like welcome to the passive hang, Tasha. Thank you so much for having me, Fayon. It's really cool to be here because I have been a fan and a listener since I think 2020 is when you started this. Is, this. is that correct? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really, really cool to be here and it's really nice to connect. Awesome. Well, listener turns into guest. This is exciting. <laughs> <laughs> a place where I wanted to start off with, you recently shared that um, you had a, a spinal injury. And I saw that you were actually working with a previous guest and mutual friend of ours, Oliver, to help you with that process. And yep. I just wanted to ask you a bit more about um, that incident and the process that you worked through with that. So, yeah, maybe if you just take us through to maybe how it actually happened. Yeah. <clears throat> so this happened... I think it's been eight or nine weeks now. Um, I was having dinner with a friend and she was showing us around uh, her her gym, which is in her garage. And I noticed, oh, you have a pole. I've never done pole before. I have friends who are phenomenal pole dancers and they've been trying to get me to, you know, try it out. And I'm like, let's do it now. So I didn't have, I wasn't dressed for, for the part. I was not warmed up, just had dinner. And I just kind of dove into a move that I had done as a kid uh, a while back, um, thinking that it will come back somehow. I, it, it wasn't there <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. Um, I was upside down, like completely inverted. Um, I was about five feet up, which is about one and a half 1.3 meters up mm -hmm. 
and I fell headfirst on cement flooring. Ah. Uh, yes. <laughs> yep. That would hurt. <laughs> yeah. And then the rest of my body just kind of followed through. Um, yeah. One star experience. I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so you just really just jumped on that pole, just inverted and then slipped off. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's funny because um, I think a lot of times what gets me into really neat, cool areas of development in my life has also gotten me into trouble, mm-hmm. um, which is this this uh, very <laughs> adventurous, explorative spirit um, that I've had since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll either get me into trouble or I'll learn something really cool out of it. Sometimes yeah. both at the same time. <laughs> so yeah, um, that's how it happened. I fractured my T1, um, mm-hmm. the spinous process, which is the very tip of mm-hmm. the vertebrae. So no spinal cord damage, thankfully, um, no brain damage. I just had a huge bruise and a bump on my head, uh, no skull fracture, nothing like that at all. Um, just, um, a bit of a fracture on my t1 wow and i mean it's interesting because you know sometimes when you delve into some of these practices as well you feel um especially when it's going really well right you you feel very adventurous you feel like you can do almost anything right and it only takes like i mean just one sort of slip right to remind you of the ever-present vulnerability vulnerability that we that we're just human right and then if you were to fall and you have these um, parts of your body which are very like fragile as well that things can happen quite easily right so yeah did you as soon as you fell like you knew immediately that something had, had happened did you go to the hospital like what, what happened um I had a moment where it was an out of body experience almost. It's like when you watch a movie or a TV show and suddenly you're in the character's first person view, like when they get hit across the head. Mm-hmm. And it was exactly like that. Um, you just see your vision tilt sideways and it starts to go dark. That's wow. exactly that's exactly how it went. So um, yeah, I knew that was bad because, um, so I am trained and licensed as an EMT. I don't practice, um, but, I knew of the first couple of red flags. Having having uh, trouble staying conscious was a bad thing, mm-hmm. um, and not being able to move very easily um, was another one. And difficulty breathing, so I knew that was bad. Even though I didn't really feel any pain, mm-hmm. um, not immediately at least. Um, I was around a lot of people that are also EMT trained. Um, uh, or worked uh, or work in the field um, of just of, uh, just uh, for um, listeners and for myself EMT what does that sound for yes <laughs> <laughs> um, so like a paramedic or somebody who comes and treats you uh, during uh, an injury or or any kind of uh, emergency um, situation uh, they usually show up with the police and fire department um, yes so yeah um, I was around a lot of other trained professionals, so they knew what to do. Um, very lucky. <laughs> very, very lucky. Very, very lucky. And so, yes, I did go to the hospital just because having trouble staying conscious is a bad thing. 
um, mm -hmm. and being transported in um, my husband's car wouldn't, I didn't feel safe about that. So took the, uh, took the hospital route in an EMT um, ambulance, excuse me. Um, yeah, that's, that's what happened. Okay. And yeah, talk us through, I guess, um, the first few days after that incident happened, like, um, yeah, what was the process like? How, what were the feelings, emotions? Like, how did you cope through that process? Like, were you quite immobile for, you know, like the first week or so? The first day or two was, I, I definitely was very stiff. Um, whether or not that's me trying to actively not um, push things too far or my body just not allowing me to move much at all. I, I, I can't tell you which one it was, but um, first couple of days I was very stiff, uh, didn't want to turn my head, um, you know, like full body shuffles if I need to uh, change directions. Yep. Um, but I was walking around um, the, the, the next day, um, messed around with some spinal waves, um, did some assisted hanging, passive hangs, active hangs, just to see where I was at. Um, there was definitely some fear because when you hear a spinal fracture, it sounds really serious and it, and it is. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the process was trying to uh, not, the, not let the fear consume you because mm -hmm. that's happened to me in the past with uh, previous injuries, like uh, my torn ACL. And when that happens, there's this like deep, deep, dark uh, spiral that that drags you down and you can't really help your own recovery process very well. So mm -hmm. this happened. I was like, okay, so I'm not going to freak out because I don't necessarily have any reason to freak out yet. I don't know what I'm capable of and maybe it's not that bad. So every day, almost every hour was just kind of slow little moves here and there seeing what i could do um testing out push-ups on the countertop um and slowly lowering that elevation or hanging with a little bit less assistance from my feet or going for a longer walk um yeah that was the first that was the first week or so and the weeks afterwards um when i was able to work my way to a push-up on the floor like that was a huge success um, yeah. being able to raise my arms above my shoulders huge huge milestone putting on a jacket without any help uh, reaching for the top shelf for for the eggs you know stuff like that it was being hyper focused on the present moment of little things that i can do mm -hmm. and yeah just appreciating all that and how did, how did you navigate your way through i guess yeah, mapping out the regions of what you could do because I guess there are. Did you start um, recognizing a level of pain which was maybe like too much versus like okay, this is like uncomfortable or this is like okay and I can still work through it. I guess like with something like I've never had a spinal fracture and I can only imagine you know it's pretty scary. Like I, I've seen um, you know your picture of the scan and you know there's a little piece of bone coming coming out so you know, it's one thing to sometimes work your way through a niggle where you don't have something like the scan and, so, you know, that traumatic fall and you go, okay, like this is fine. I can, um, 
you know, use my movement uh, understanding to work through it. But then this feels like a little bit more serious, you know, in the back of your mind is sometimes like, oh, you know, if I do this, what if it's kind of going to aggravate it more and, you know, displace it more? Like, yeah, how did you how did you work through that? Um, being very, very, very graded about everything I did and almost being obsessive about this degree of movement versus this degree of movement, this amount of intensity versus that amount of intensity, um, making sure that what I did, I had um, like a fallback plan in case something were to give way, I'd have a safe place to fall. It was It was a lot of thinking things through and um, not doing anything where I didn't have reassurance that I had some level of control over the bailout uh, if I needed it. Um, and yeah, talking to Oliver was was a huge help. Um, he, so um, the medical system is, is tricky to work around here. Mm. Um, I had the initial hospital visit. I didn't get to see my primary doctor until I think six days, six or seven days afterwards. Wow. Okay. And then from there, he referred me to a specialist that was supposed to let me know if I needed surgery or uh, PT or, or something like that. I didn't get that appointment until about seven weeks later. What? Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. You could have just been sitting around for seven weeks, just waiting for answers. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I called up my friend, um, Oliver. Um, I've taken his pain science course. I've been very interested in pain science for quite a while since my uh, first major injury of my ACL. That was two, three, four years, three, four years ago. Um, so yeah, I I had some idea of and some understanding of how I should or think about how I move forward, but it's always good to have a professional um, in your corner. And because I didn't have that here physically, I was like, I'm going to call up Oliver and talk to him about it because he also helped me out through um, a different injury for my shoulder not too long ago. So getting some guidelines, talking to him, um, knowing that um, he was listening to my concerns. That's another thing too. Um, sometimes what you're offered here, you don't have the time to get into what your background is, what your current practice is, what your training is like, your lifestyle, and where you want to go from here. Um, most most of the time when I've seen a professional here, it's just to get you back to your day-to-day. -day. Um, and there's maybe 15 minutes to do that. No. Um, so, yeah. And just for the listeners there here, shout out to Oliver Crossley, who is the yogic okay. physio on Instagram, who, yeah, I've done a previous episode on the passive hang. So if you're interested in that, we, we get through, um, yeah, we touch on the subject of pain and pain science, I believe, in our episodes. So I recommend if you're interested in that, dig in through the archives. Um, and yeah, I guess this is one example of how uh, a more um, positive way to to work through and uh, in, in, in an injury event other um, versus I guess a more traditional based method as as you say like uh, where I guess for people who don't have that option available for them it's it's a it's a bit tragic right because you'd be um, stuck with fear of moving but then waiting for 
any sort of answer as to whether you could move or not for like seven seven weeks, right? And what uh, I'm guessing within that seven week period, you know, you've been doing the doing the work. You're already almost back to back to normal, but by, by then, pretty much. Um, they in in theory, a bone heals in six to eight weeks. Uh, mm-hmm. The the type of fracture that I had. Um, so yeah, at seven weeks, I was feeling pretty good. The interesting thing, though, and um, Oliver covers this in uh, in his talks and in his work, is you know tissue damage or even bone damage is not always indicative of how you feel. Um, at seven weeks, I was able to do about eighty five percent of what I had been doing at the intensity that I had been doing, deadlifts and you know, pull-ups or skin the cats on the rings, um, mm-hmm. all, all sorts of crazy things that I didn't think was possible. Um, but at seven weeks, I got another scan and it's still displaced. There's there's still a fracture. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it hasn't fully healed, but yeah. I feel really, really good. Mm-hmm. What does the doctor say when you tell them, oh, this is what I've been doing. And then they look at the scan. So the interesting thing is um they they didn't they didn't know what it was that I was doing. Um and I tried to keep it more traditional focused. So I would say things like a military press or a deadlift. Mm-hmm. Um uh they didn't seem to know exactly what those movements were. Um Never mind the skin, the cats or the QDR or, you know, things like that. And I would just say calisthenics. I was just doing body weight calisthenics and um, they, they, didn't, they didn't, he didn't know what a lot of it was. So it was difficult to explain. Yeah. Um, and we didn't have the time for me to like show him a quick video or anything like that. Yeah, it goes to, you know, the point of trying to seek out, you know, sometimes you do need help and that really helps with the recovery and the, you know, the perception of pain as well, right? When you have that positive um, reinforcement, but how hard sometimes it is to seek out a a medical practitioner who actually understands what you're, you're doing. I remember you know, a lot of visits where I've, I've tried an osteo or a physiotherapist before, and I've tried to explain what I'm doing and they just look at you like, why are you doing that? <laughs> when when you uh, when you show a video or you um you know actually show them on the floor, it's kind of just this look of like w- like you shouldn't be doing that, uh, which is um you know it doesn't put you in the right space to be then going oh well I'm actually you know wanting your help on these sort of issues. Yeah, um, I, I can I can definitely empathize. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, like mapping your body um, and starting to in- increase load, like, yeah, ha- how did you um, approach it in terms of like that measured way? I can imagine, you know, getting first push up is one step, but then actually, you know, putting your spine under load with a deadlift and all, all that, like, was it just like a feeling where you're like, oh, I think I'm ready for this now? Or was it very measured where you're like, okay, like from this week and then in like three or four weeks, I think I'll be be at that that point. I didn't really map it out that far. It was really nearly day by day, session by session. And I would take um, meticulous notes with 
I mean, yes, I write things down, but I am very video oriented. So I do record nearly everything that I do so I can watch myself mm -hmm. and, and um, yeah, just increase it little by little the next time. If I'm feeling a little crazy, maybe I'll go a little bit more than usual and, and see how that feels. Um, I know that as long as I'm making progress, it's good. Um, and by progress, I mean, you know, the, the weight that you're increasing, the range of motion that you're increasing, or just the level of confidence is huge. And that's mm. hard to measure for, for many reasons. Um, but we kind of, I, I would, I kind of just have my own language for it that I write down, um, according to this video, I was like, see this video. Um, mm -hmm. and I can remember certain, I don't know, um, a certain sense of lightness or there's this like brain fuzz that goes on in my head. Like it lights up a little bit, like, oh, I couldn't do this for a while. Mm -hmm. I have to remember that sensation. I'll write it down. And, um, so it's, it's a lot of different things. Um, and it's hard to explain. Um, it was kind of a system that I just slowly built, uh, throughout the process. It's similar to what I had, um, when I was at the tail end of my ACL tear, um, because that one, that was like a three year recovery process. Wow. Yep. Um, and it's, supposed to, and I put this in air quotes, um, you're supposed to be okay in about six to eight months, um, mm. was not the case for me at all. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's how I, I went with it day by day, watching videos, being a bit obsessive. Um, but then again, it's, it's, it's very similar to my work. So it wasn't that difficult for me. Um, I am a coach, an online coach. And so I spend a lot of time watching video and remembering how somebody moved in the beginning with their assessment and how they've progressed mm -hmm. uh, and so forth. It's funny because, you know, on one hand, you've got this um, spinal recovery, which is uh, being quite rapid. And then you talk about your ACL injury, which, you know, is on the other side of the spectrum. Uh, so I think it just goes to this point that, you know, you're, everyone's on, your own pace, right? And you just have to work with your own body and respect that process. But something I am interested in digging in through um, now is, um, you know, you mentioned about your your, your note-taking and your way where you take a lot of videos to diagnose, you know, your own movement, but also clients' movement. Um, yeah. Would you be able to share a bit more detail about um, how you sort of organize that and what you what you do in this space? Um, I can try to explain it. <laughs> um, lots of video. I, I make folders and I label it with certain numbers and whatnot, um, date, time, stuff like that. And then I have a journal that's alongside it. So for each video, I have the notes that I write down and I have to refer back and forth and I try to keep it as organized as possible. Um, and yeah, I, I do a lot of reflecting. Uh, for myself. Um, what sort of questions do you ask yourself when you're reflecting? How did this feel? That's a big one. Uh, it's very gener uh, It's very general. It's a bit nebulous. Everybody's answers are going to be different. Um, it is a bit more personal. Um, and it's yours, so to speak, to decipher. 
Um, when I work with other with with clients, I don't pry too much because I also understand that you know it's personal. So whatever they share with me, I do take you know several notes here and there. It's like, oh, this feels so much better, so much more stronger, confident. Um, oh, I can play with my kid again in this way. I had to I had to adjust in in previous times, stuff like that. And um, I try to write down what I perceive their emotions to be. Um, based on what they tell me and what they're willing to share. Hmm. Uh, it definitely becomes a bit more open and easier once you get to know your client a bit more and build that rapport of trust and um, and they can feel that you care. Um, and that helps a lot. Um, it's the same kind of thing that I apply to myself. I write down, yeah, how I'm feeling about it. Oh, that felt shitty. Can I swear? Yeah. Go for it. <laughs> I felt shitty in this particular way because of this. Is it because of this or is it because I'm just having a bad day? Is it because I changed my diet? Is it because I started taking creatine? Is it because I started upping my caffeine consumption? Mm-hmm. Is it because, you know, a lot of different things? Um, sometimes it doesn't matter. Um, sometimes it can. Um, but having, I think, things to to refer back to and reflect upon, I think is very helpful because it lets you know where you were at at that space and time. And if there is a progression or if there's a regression or if it's just staying more or less where it's at, but it's getting deeper and richer, so to speak, the experience. Mm. Um, And that's really, I just find that very interesting to me and it offers, um, a bit more flavor and color to the process. And how often do you refer back to your notes from before? Like um, just thinking about how I approach it, like um, with uh, say videos and note takings, I would say that sometimes like I'm very involved within that same session where I'm taking videos and, and looking through it and, and comparing that and maybe like comparing that with the, with the previous session, but then not so regular sometimes with going back, you know, like weeks or months um, uh, that might be very ad hoc where I actually go, go, go back there. But I'm, I guess I have quite a, a recency bias with um, my, my reflections, but I'm keen to hear if, um, yeah, you, you have uh, a, a different approach. Um, if it's something new that I'm working on, I try not to, uh, I try not to look at the videos too much during those sessions, during the session. Um, why it's because I can be highly critical of myself. And when it's something that's new that you're not familiar with and you're less than graceful, um, it can affect um, your motivation throughout the the rest of the session. And I don't want that. Mm-hmm. And allowing myself to enjoy messing around, playing around, trying different variations, all of that. I just kind of go with the flow a little bit more. And I stop the video every now and then just so that it, it won't, um, uh, it won't save itself. But I, I try not to touch it too much during the session and I watch it afterwards. Mm. And, the reason for that is uh, it, it, it really affects your practice um, because uh, 
if I can see myself getting frustrated because I'm trying to copy the last move that I just did or the last successful thing, it will affect how how things go. And it tends to be pretty negative. Mm. But um, if I can allow myself to have fun and I can see that in the video itself and I can relate back to that moment, um, it, it just keeps me going really, really well in the first couple of weeks. Um, especially when it's a, a skill-based movement or uh, idea that I'm playing with, it, it's, it, it goes really, really well. Um, and when things have come to a plateau, um, then I start kind of going back a little bit more and really detailing things out. Like, okay, why am I stuck? Is there something I haven't tried? Um, and, and so forth. It's quite interesting because um a bit of the opposite where especially when <laughs> I'm learning something, I'm taking a lot of videos and looking at it like a lot at the start to mm -hmm. give me that extra sensory input of what I'm actually doing because I'm trying to figure out like what I what I'm doing and I have this idea right when you're like first person view trying mm -hmm. to do it. And then I'm like, okay, like what's happening? when I look at it on the camera and I, I, I notice all, all these things. So I haven't actually, yeah, really tried it in your way, but uh, I see how that could work quite well um, in terms of just giving yourself into that process of just going, I'm just, I'm just figuring it out. And, you know, I want to make sure that um, I'm also just enjoying this moment of discovery as well and re really giving into it. And yeah, I can reflect into watch and review afterwards and then come back the next session with those new learnings in mind. So I might take that tip and, and, and see, see what difference it does, you know, uh, whether that uh, yields some different results. I would love if you would share um, how it goes for you, because I, I do know that people are very different. Um, their training styles can be very different, their philosophies. So um I'd be very, very, very curious to know how it goes for you. Yeah, definitely. I'll I'll take a note down here, and um, uh, I will let you. I will let you know. We can compare some, some, definitely. some training notes. Maybe you could try my my one as as well. <laughs> Absolutely. I I think the reason why that I go with how I've been doing it is because in the beginning, there's there's all of these different sensations that you're feeling and I can't pinpoint what is going on and watching myself uh, in the video early on, I it, it, it makes me more confused. Mm. Um, so I guess I'm very much internally based first and, the, and then I start adding the layers to the exterior, uh, looking at it from the outside and then trying to connect the pieces. Um, after I've made sense of what's going on in my head and in my body. Um, yeah. Yeah. And do you, um, help people that you coach into a similar type of process or, you know, how does that look with, um, say your online clients and the, you know, you, they're asking for tips on how to tackle, you know, you, you've written them a new program or, or whatever. And, um, uh, that learning process as well, any guidelines? I try. I don't want to force too much work upon somebody who doesn't need that level of detail or have that interest. Um, if a, 
if if they seem like they're open to it, then I kind of nudge them towards it. Um, if they are, you know, working 70 hour weeks and they've got kids and a spouse and a mortgage to keep up, all of these things, then I'm not going to I'm not going to even entertain it unless they ask for it. Um, it. It really depends on the client. If the client is looking for just a workout to keep them active, um, then not really. Um, as long as we're seeing progress towards their goals, whether it be uh, getting stronger, we just look at just cold metrics of, of weight or elevation, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. But if they're looking for something a little bit deeper into, I don't know, just more movement options or uh, movement complexity or um, getting into, mm, you know, uh, areas of, I, I don't know what to call it. Um, I hesitate to call it dance, but some people are very interested in exploring just free movement on their own mm -hmm. along with music. Now, Yes, most people would call that dance, but uh, some people hesitate because it doesn't look very aesthetic according to how they feel. So, um, yeah, it, it really depends on the client. And we try to figure out and establish the boundaries of how deep they want to get and how open they want to be about their process with me. Mm -hmm. Because uh, sometimes overcoaching is, I think, sometimes the worst thing that can happen for a client because they can't think for themselves and process what's going on in their, their body, their experience and how they want to measure progress. Mm. I think that's a very important point. Right. And, um, a, a very important learning that say, like I'm undergoing a, a, as well, where, you know, you want to, you're so excited to share all your knowledge. Right. Um, but that can remove you from the students views and, the situation and the context that they're in, right? And you can overwhelm them. And so sometimes it's actually better to withhold, to ask more questions rather than to tell all the answers. Yes. Um, also because, especially in the beginning, if you don't know your client very well and you can misperceive things and coach them wrong. Um, and that's... That, that that's bad for me and I, I I never and I yeah that's something that I try not to do um it's it's kind of like in my early days when I worked at a commercial gym um the assumption was that everybody who came to you just wanted to lose weight and so you would just push them towards that and then you would have your own biases based on your experience your co-workers experience the people that go to the gym what media they consume and then you try to like guess what they're trying to achieve without mm. actually talking to them about it. And that never turns out well. So I try to, I, I, I've learned a lot from that experience. Um, and I try to bring it into what I do now. Mm. And yeah, it's, um, it's a little bit more nuanced, um, but it's a bit more rewarding for both me and my clients. I have found. So yeah, you, um, do you primarily train most of your clients like online these days? Um, it used to be primarily in person. Um, now it's closer. No, it's not a 50-50 split anymore. Now it's primarily online. 
And I would say maybe 60% online, 40% in person. So say like for your online clients, um, how do you approach getting to know that person? Because, you know, it's a, it can be a bit more difficult when you don't have that physical presence together. So what have you found to be helpful in terms of, you know, say there's someone starting new with you and getting to know them? Um, I meet with everybody for 15 to 30 minutes, uh, first and foremost, to make sure that we're a good fit. Um, not only in if I can help with their goals, but also I think uh, a personality fit is also important. Um, and we just talk. Um, we talk about where they've been, where they are, where they want to go, and um, what their experiences have been with training. Um, and if they're just looking for a workout, if they're looking for something else, are they more skill like oriented? Like, do they want to learn certain skills? Do they just want to be generically stronger? Do they want to be strong for a specific sport? Um, a lot of different things. Um, or if they just want to move a bit easier without, uh, certain restrictions or, uh, pain or, learning or wanting to learn more about how to perceive and interpret pain. Um, that's something that we're getting into as well. Um, but yeah, just talking if, if it flows pretty easily and I can feel, uh, like there's that we're going to get along. <laughs> that's, that's, that's basically how it goes. If I feel like we're not going to get along, then the, the process afterwards is just going to be a very trying and, you know, um, face-to-wall experience, um, just trying to make things happen. Um, and then I try to refer them out if I can. And what does that process look like at the start? Like, you know, do, do they do a few assessments? Is there um, the first sort of blocks or phases that you give to them? Is that um, done in a certain way to also figure out a bit more about them first before, you know, um, getting into a a more regular pattern uh, how do you approach that um so based on the conversation if it flowed pretty well and it seems like we like each other um then i go ahead with an assessment based on uh where they want to be so somebody wants to be able to do a, um a push-up for example and they've never tried it they've only bench pressed or whatever it may be um so like i'll tailor out um, a specific assessment for them, a mobility strength assessment, so to speak, five to seven movements um, that I think that are related to their goals. And I try to see where they're at based on what they send back. Um, I build a program. Uh, so yeah, uh, videos where they're at, uh, where they wanna be. And then I build the program to kind of bridge the gap um, to the best of my ability. And the first couple of weeks are just testing out the program um, because we would like to think that we always have the perfect program and it, it's never the case. Mm -hmm. It's never the case. Even, even for myself, when I program for myself and I've been doing this for a decent amount of time, um, things are not always perfect in the beginning. The first six weeks very well is just figuring out the right setup for yourself and if this is the right exercise for you, if you need a regression, a progression, 
um, a different approach, um, a lot of different things according to your time, um, what you can do, and what you have access to is huge. Um, not everybody has time to drive 15, 30 minutes one way to a gym, find the perfect setup when it's not busy, record everything while they're doing it, and come back. Um, mm-hmm. That's that, that can be a three-hour trek. Um, yep. You're exhausted by the end of it. So sometimes it doesn't work according to the, their, their lifestyle and whatnot. So we try to figure things out. Um, very much for the first three to six weeks. By the end of six weeks, um, my goal is always to have a program that is as complete as possible that they can take with them and just just buckle down and and work at it until they feel very, very confident that um, that they've maxed everything out. Um, based on the tools that I teach them during the six weeks, like how to progress, how to overload, um, all, all of these things. And yeah, uh, they could come back if they want. Um, and there's no, there's no need to stick around really, because, um, there's a lot you can do with a program for, for quite some time. Okay. So it's almost like, yeah, that six weeks is that, that learning process. Then afterwards you try and give them this program, which they can then just get stuck into themselves, which should bring them to that goal that they've specified to you. And then it's whether, um, whether they want to keep on continuing afterwards, then they can come back of their own accord. Otherwise, um, it's almost setting them up for this independent path that they can just go, okay. Yeah. Like I've, I've got what I need now and it's just to do the work to to achieve what I've set out to do. Yes, because um I, I think the best progress you can make is is really on your own. Um and I try to encourage that a little bit more because I'd like fitness and movement, whatever you want to call this thing that we do, to be as least complicated as possible i don't think it needs to be so specific about the reps the sets the technique the 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 approach the the brand the whatever it may be to that that will complete you i I think it's really important for people to be able to figure out what they need um based on things that they try out and um can really take ownership of their own work um, and that's something that I try to teach to the best of my ability without seeming like I'm withholding anything because I, and most, I would say all coaches don't know exactly what you need, even if they've been working with you for years. And if you have been working with them for years, you could have had a huge influence in a way that, um, May it may have not made their path as personally unique to them. Yeah, I know what you yeah you're saying there. It's like um, if you keep on laying out like the specified path for them to take all the time, then is that the path that they should be taking, or their own path where of their own path where they're making their own choices, right? Because they're just um, going to be doing what you say 
exactly. uh, ra rather than maybe asking the questions of themselves of, you know, what should I be doing? So, yeah, I think that is, um, that is a interesting approach for me to ponder on as well. Um, because yeah, more traditionally, right. It, it is the, Hey, like for the next six weeks or 10 weeks or however you want to call it. Right. And this is how it is. And to, um, you know, record your sets, reps, all that sort of stuff. Um, and then ongoing, it's the next one, right. Rather than going, what it, what it feels like here is that you're kind of laying out, here's the framework of what you need to be doing. And, you know, it, it is on you to then do the work and to work through this framework. And if you go through this, you'll have a lot more autonomy in how to navigate through that, but it will get you there. Yes, um, because as much as a, um, a pathway can be laid out for somebody, what happens when the coach is not around or able to continue working with you, right? Um, that creates a level of dependency and it can instill fear actually in, in somebody from straying from that path. They're like, Oh, this is all I've ever known. Mm -hmm. And this is what this coach said that I should do. I, I I don't know if I, if I'm ready to try something new or that looks interesting, but I might hurt myself because I haven't been doing anything like it. Um, and I'm afraid to try it. So I'm just not going to, it's very interesting how it's similar to the experience of just, um, uh, like it's, I find that it's kind of related to, to my, my experience with just injuries. It's like, there's always this protocol, um, that you follow from a PT or a uh, orthopedic whomever, and you're supposed to be okay, but it can be really discouraging that you followed all the steps. Uh, to the best of your ability and how this person said you should do it and you should be good in six to eight uh, months weeks whatever it is mm. but you're not and then you're left feeling like there's something wrong with you mm. and that's just something that you have to live with for the rest of your life that there's that you can't do anything about it um so i it's it's i don't know i i, I like to yeah, make things less defined and, and and determined. It's just more, this is a framework. It could be different and you're free to color outside the lines a little bit and see if it suits you better. And then continue doing that until you have something that re works really well for you. It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of like we need to be aware of packaging things up in terms of this is going to deliver you an outcome with certainty, right? Um, because then as you say, if you don't reach that outcome, which has been going, you know, six weeks to this or 10 weeks to that, mm -hmm. because it almost is never like that. Right. Um, then yeah, that, that can also have a negative impact on the, um, on the experience of, uh, the person doing it if they, if they don't achieve it. So, yeah, I think that's a, that is a really important point. Um, one thing I'm thinking about is if you are providing them, I guess, with the framework to, to do all this work as well, then, you know, ongoing, how does that look like? Because I guess, you know, they've, they've got this stuff, they, they can do the work. Um, uh, 
and then do they just go off on their own and then i guess for for the relationship ongoing with your students and you how, how does that look like is it, is it normally like then they get curious about something else and they they come back and ask for help on that like yeah i'm just wondering about how that dynamic works pretty much um if they've have a new goal to come back with that they've uh, messed around with on their own and want some feedback or insight, I'm here for that. Um, if they need a change of pace, um, I'm here for that. Um, as long as it's something that I can provide. If if somebody's asking me for something that I've never done before, then that that's not gonna happen. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, that's pretty much how it goes and yeah, people go, they come back. Sometimes they've learned enough or they learned what they needed from me and then they've started a different path on their own or with another coach. That's, um, but we all stay in touch. And um, I had a client um, two years ago and she had a, a pretty specific uh, back condition um, and uh, she wanted to get strong and flexible and all these things we work together for one cycle and uh she's doing all these incredible things and i still you know i read uh, keep in contact with her every now and then I'm watching her stories and she's come such a long way and it's amazing and um like i think she started out with two pull-ups and now she's banging out like close to 10 wow. uh, yeah on her own mm -hmm. and now she's adding weight um figuring those things out progressing th towards a front split uh, a back bend which is really tough for her because she has um specific condition to her and uh yeah no that's that's kind of that's kind of how i keep in touch so i actually want to uh because we haven't touched on it um is i guess um your own journey um and uh where um this has all come from, but, uh, yeah, maybe if you can take us through, you know, have you always been a, a trainer and, and a teacher or, uh, and have you always been very like physically inclined from your youth as well? Or was that something, um, was it a bit of a different path? So yeah, I'm interested to hear maybe, you know, from growing up to, where you are now, how like your training has evolved and taken you through to this place now? Sure. Um, I was always a, a kid that couldn't sit still. Um, so always running around outside, riding my bike, um, climbing on top of things that I shouldn't have been climbing. Um, it was a common occurrence for a neighbor to call my parents to get me down from their fence or their tree. <laughs> um, things like that. Um, and so, yeah, I was always running around and keeping myself busy. Um, but when it comes to like organized sports or like a discipline, not really. Um, the only thing that I really, um, really participated in was high school tennis for four years. And after that in college, I discovered the gym and um, tried to play around in the weight room, but it wasn't the right environment for me at the time um so I, I didn't continue that but what I did continue exploring was uh, recreationally uh with the uh, rock climbing and that was on and off for for a while and they had a yoga studio in there so I would 
take classes there for a little bit. Um, but I've always been just a dabbler. I've never been like a, a, a focused um, disciple of anything. Um, and uh, yeah, um, so I'll talk about my, 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 my training and then I'll talk about like the work that I've been doing. Um, but yeah, after that, um, what happened? Um, I dabbled in bodybuilding um, when I was comfortable to work out in a, in a, in a commercial gym, mm-hmm. um, messing around with all the machines, um, figuring out what my strengths and weaknesses are and just kind of like doubling down on my strengths, which was bench pressing at the time. Um, a lot of upper body stuff. So just did all that. And then I stumbled upon YouTube and Instagram, uh, when they were emerging. So there's this whole host of things that I didn't think was possible and just started trying things out on my own um just messing around watching a lot of video and learning that oh my hip mobility is actually pretty that's pretty good um I'll just keep doing more of that and seeing what different configurations I can come up with mm-hmm. has it been done before um maybe yes no I don't know keep doing it um and uh then COVID happened and I started getting more into bo- just body weight calisthenics. Um, all I had was uh, my garage and a pull-up bar. So mm-hmm. went into that. Um, and then because it was not in a public setting, um, tried to explore a little bit more martial arts movements and dance and combining the two um, because no one was watching me. And mm-hmm. uh um and then from there after covid ha- uh, was getting a bit the covid situation was getting a little bit better getting back into the gym and thinking maybe i can combine some of these things maybe um i had playing been playing around with the bow staff stuff with a broomstick in my garage for a while so i was like oh maybe i can do this weighted M- maybe i can do this with a barbell that'd be so cool <laughs> So um, a lot of different things like that. Um, I got really into um, strongman training, the the old time strongman training, um, because it required a very minimalist approach and a surprising amount of mobility. And I was like, wow, that's that's crazy. Um, like a, a QDR elbow lever movement is very similar to a bent press. It's just that you're standing with weight. Um, uh, yeah. So it's yeah. So I started seeing all these patterns and it was just uh, a different orientation of your, where your body is uh, in relation to gravity um, and a different type of weight that you're pushing, whether it be open chain or closed chain, all these things. So I started seeing all these patterns and trying to do different things. Um, and that's where I'm at now with my practice. In terms of work, I was not always a trainer. I started out with a film degree in college. Um, hence okay. Why- yeah. I'm very video oriented. I watched a lot of movies, a lot of TV shows. I had a lot of influence of like cool people, action heroes, all this kind of stuff, like Mm -hmm. incredible ways of moving even. Um, So yeah, I started out as a film major. I wanted to be a filmmaker. Um, Lived in LA for a little bit. Uh, Came back to the Bay Area where I'm from and continued more uh, film school training um 
worked and dabbled in a whole host of things, music videos, short films. Um, I think I did, I did a, a news article video clip. Um, I worked for uh, a small fitness production company um, and then tried to do my own side video photography gig, um, wedding videos, photography, that kind of stuff. And I lived very much the, the starving artist lifestyle. <laughs> and because of that, I needed supplemental income and I got into bartending. And bartending because I am an introvert and I wanted to work on, you know, talking to people, people skills, all that kind of stuff. In the uh, film industry and the video production industry, it's very much who you know. Um, not really what you know, but it helps quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, so learning to communicate better was a was a big motivating point for me. So I got into bartending and it seemed really cool because the bar that I was at, um, the bartender was doing all these like crazy flips mm. bottles and they were so smooth with their movements when they had to like, it wasn't just making the drinks, it was filling a beer and uh, garnishing a drink with one hand. And then um, they could be... Um, opening a bottle of wine while they were um, while they were closing a refrigerator door that's low with their foot and they'd have to like really like internally rotate their hip to do it <laughs> wow <laughs> um, grab a bottle while they were a bottle of wine while they were um, getting the, the wrapping off and they would jump on top of a countertop to reach a specific bottle of liquor mm -hmm. um, multitasking like no other it was very physically uh, demanding and they would be communicating with four different people at the time and a ticket machine that they would have to make drinks based off of. And then their bar back who would have to refill the, uh, the beer kegs or whatever it might be um, to clean the table to, it was just chaos um, and movement oriented. And it was just um, amazing to watch. So I was like, I want to do that. So I got into that. I became really good at it. And, um, yeah, so that was what I did for a long time. I paid off my student loans really quickly, um, which is a huge bonus. And, um, yeah, um, the downside of working in that industry is it's not the healthiest lifestyle to live. Yep. You're, you're working at, you're working a night job. Um, you're, working very hard, um, trying to keep up with uh, ticket printers, your your bar patrons, your, uh, your restaurant server who's making drinks for the restaurant side. Um, and then there was a music club on the other side. So there'd be servers that are serving drinks for the club side. So it's like all these different people that are yelling at you, demanding things from you. Um, and so, yeah, you start your shift at four in the morning, not four in the morning, sorry, four in the afternoon. <laughs> 4 a.m., <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> four, four, four p.m. was when I started. And I would get up somewhere around 2 p.m. and start my day with nine double shots of espresso. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because I needed to be alert and awake to pound away for eight hours um, of chaos. During those eight hours of chaos, you are also drinking almost on the hour. There, you would have your 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 um, 
your business meeting that you would have with your fellow bartenders or your servers. You take a shot of something nearly every hour. That's, that, that was the culture at the time. And then during those eight hours, you were also sampling and tasting the drinks that you were making to make sure they're good to go out. When you're done, oh, I also smoked at the time. I smoked a pack of cigarettes almost every day. So there was that. Mm -hmm. And then when you're done at 12, you're cleaning up. You don't get out until one, two o'clock in the morning. And then you go to a nearby restaurant that stays open late for you. All the service workers would go there and continue drinking um, until maybe four in the morning, five in the morning. You stumble home, you go to bed, you wake up hungover, you shake it off nine double shots and you do it all over again. So it wasn't very healthy at all. Yep. Um, and also the food that you're eating is not because you get free food or cheap food that's open late. It's just, it just wasn't very good for me. Mm -hmm. uh, so when I decided to stop all of that is when I doubled down into um, my training. It's kind of like you had these two sides to yourself where you're in this vicious cycle of, of drinking, over-caffeination, uh, partying, but then you had this like love and desire for, for training, right? So it just uh, came to it. Was was there a certain point where you're kind of like, no, nah, that, that's it. You know, I'm, I know this is not the way for me. I'm going to go the complete opposite way. What happened? It was definitely very hard at some point to maintain both at the same time because um, it was it was just that lifestyle was just not conducive to making good progress uh, physically, mentally, all that kind of stuff. And because my my main concerns at the time in my 20s, I was you know, I paid off my student loans. So I'm like, oh, I can do whatever I want. Um, I didn't have other goals or aspirations it was just like oh i could just live day to day and um uh, doing what i'm doing making this money and spending it on more of these habits and it came to a head where the ex the stuff that I was interested physically was more important and it, it, they both just couldn't coexist uh, very well at all and so there was a moment where i'm like okay this this needs to probably stop. And I wanna dive headlong into my practice. And that's when I started working at the corporate gym uh, that I was training at um, and did really well there. And then um, COVID forced me out because uh, the gym decided to um, essentially fire people and then hire them back under different contract for less money and more work. And so I was like, oh, that's that's not really fair. So may maybe I can do this on my own. And it worked really well for me because um, a majority of my clients left with me um, They to work out at a park without fancy gym equipment. Um, and that started to take off. And then I decided to try my hand at Instagram and uh, remote coaching. And it started to just build its way out from there. It's quite a journey, you know, because looking at everything that you share now, you know, you'd be thinking, oh, this is almost a person who's been, you know, training and being healthy like all her life. Um, 
but I'm yeah, I'm very surprised, but also it um makes me appreciate, I guess, what you're doing at the moment now, given all that background and all those habits that would have been, I guess, essentially destroying your body, which really shows the resilience, I guess, of the body and how adaptable we can be when we set the right conditions for it. And that, I mean, it can go either way, right? Like someone very healthy could give it all up and start drinking every day and, you know, be a completely different person a week or even two weeks from now. Um, but it can go in the positive direction as well, where you can let go of that and start building on the right habits. And, you know, it's almost like never too late to be saved, right? It's never late, too late to make a change and it'll always have a really good uh, impact on your life uh, if that's what you want out of it. Um, and and I just disclaimer, because I don't want people coming after me. Um, <laughs> drinking inherently is not bad for you. It's just that at the level that I was doing it at um, and the lifestyle that I was living, it was just really not good for me. Um, I do believe that there's moderation in everything. Maybe not smoking, but there's moderation in the exercise you do, um, in the movement that you do, in the drinking that you do, the eating that you do, the type of eating that you do. Um, I'm not like a proponent for just one way of living or anything like that. Enjoy your, enjoy your glass of wine, your beer, whatever it is that you enjoy. So let's talk about your training at, at the moment. Um, you said that you also, you know, program it yourself. Um, what, what are you actually working on at the moment? How does it look like, you know, if, if we all the walk through maybe like a typical sort of week, um, and when you go into your sessions, what is it, what are you actually doing? So it changes, um, quite frequently, um, in the last two years or so. And, um, it really depends on my time and my schedule, but I try to aim for four days of strength training and either I have separate mobility drills for a certain skill or, um, uh, position or, um, movement that I want to maintain or get better at, um, I'll sprinkle that in, or I will try to combine the two with weights or strength training and mobility at the same time. Um, so that's about four days a week. And then the rest, I try to get on top of a bit of cardio because it's not my favorite thing, but it's great for recovery. And it's great for a lot of different things, particularly if you're recovering from an injury to continuously get blood flow, uh, throughout the body to nourish the tissues and all everything. Um, but yeah, um, right now I'm going through a hypertrophy phase, uh, because I want to put on a bit more muscle and, uh, not go too hard and heavy, uh, because of my injury, it's not fully healed. And, um, last thing I need is to get in the way of its recovery. Mm. So, uh, hypertrophy, uh, training a lot of compounds, uh, which is great during the process. I was actually doing a lot of bodybuilding isolations just because it was the safest way to go about things, but still get a really good workout in. Um, yeah, that's pretty much what I'm doing right now. Um, 
<laughs> and yeah, do you have any sort of um other than obviously the the rehab process, do you have any like particular goals that um or, or skill movements that you've going, okay, yeah, this is like a project that I'm working on at this moment? At the moment right now, I'm working on getting a smoother, um, there are many names for it, but I guess a QDR circle or an elbow lover, mm -hmm. so many names, but um, yes, trying to get smoother and better at that. Um, shoulder stability is something that I've always been working at from different angles. Um, so this is another layer that I'm working on. Um, that's probably the only thing that I'm really focused on right now. Mm, bent pressing has been a long-term project of mine, uh, just because it's so difficult mm -hmm. and, uh, I know it's difficult, but I know it's doable. So that's me going. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a, it's an ongoing one. And outside of that, mm, Figuring out how many different ways I can get into a middle split and out of it is a fun one for me. Um, different ways of getting up off the floor is another one. Um, and more complexity with um, moving my spine because it's it's fun. <laughs> so how do you um, sort of uh, approach these, these projects and these layers within, you know, you, you've got like, say, your strength training and then maybe you you want to work on the um this qdr circle or qdr rotational push-up or like the spinal waves or the um the move the getting up and down from from the floor is this something that you know you have other sort of dedicated time um where you're going okay that's where i'm going to work on that or is it like before or after like a strength session how do you sort of mix it all together and uh, work your way through it if motivation is 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 um is a problem for for a particular day then i will get into those projects first um if it's not and i have time to relax a little bit then i get the strength training stuff done first and then i can really uh play and be completely warmed up for the skill uh projects that i'm working on okay so you might do the strength first and then work on the skill yeah yes i know i, I know that a lot of people uh typically work on the skill focused stuff first because it requires mm -hmm. a lot of focus um and yes that definitely works really well like that's that's something that i i usually did with uh handstand practice because it's just it's it's it requires so much focus mm -hmm. um, and awareness and everything that you want to be fresh for it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, if I can, if, 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 if motivation is a problem, I'll dive into it first. Like if I'm dragging my feet, I do it first. If I'm not dragging my feet, um, and I'm excited to get, to get to it, I know that motivation and that excitement will last me through the entire session. So I don't have to worry about getting it in, so to speak. I focus on the strength training and then I can, if I have more time, then I can really enjoy the the playful aspect of it uh, and taking my time with the skill at the mm. end. Yeah, it's kind of like also with the strength training at first, that can really like upregulate and stimulate you, right? Like, so you might be feeling at the start going, oh, you know, uh, I'm not really with it today, but then that can like snap you into the zone, right? And then afterwards go, okay, like, yeah, 
let's uh let's keep on going let's keep on um working towards it so i can yeah i can see how it works both ways for sure yeah and um with uh i guess ex exploring these different layers um, because you share many different ideas you know whether it be this qdr circle or um you were mentioning how you've been working with, I guess, like the bow staff or, and I've seen you like doing this kind of like barbell windmill, which looks like amazing. Um, something I haven't tried myself either. How do you just start exploring, I guess, outside the realms of more, you know, let's call it like traditional or linear strengths um, because, you know, you mentioned you started uh, also dabbling or, or, or training like old man, or, um, not old man, old strong man <laughs> and type, type uh, methods. Uh, and sometimes, you know, in these areas, and it's even for myself as well, um, because they are less known to you and to the culture as well, they can feel like they have, you know, an extra added element of risk as well. Um, and maybe you might be a bit apprehensive or a bit confused as to go, okay, like, where can I start with this is uh, like, where do I, how do I approach it? So I'm interested to hear, you know, what or how you have gone about it. Um, so when I go outside of the, the lines of linearity and I add weight to it or, or, or not, um, I've learned very quickly on that. It's probably best doesn't always have to be but in my experience it's been best to learn the coordination first because uh if you're wielding around a broomstick it's it's a lot safer if you were to whack yourself in the face with a broomstick than you are with a barbell <laughs> um i've definitely whacked myself in the shin um and that oh, hurt yep. really bad um or my foot or my ankle and so it's like okay that i don't need more of that so go lighter and um, when you figure out the coordination, it's it's very similar to how you would progressively overload a strength movement that you just add weight. Um, and progressive because you're shifting around something that's heavy and you have to figure out your relationship to it um, at each degree and each turn and you learn how to use momentum. Um, and when not to use it um, and how how you shift around it or let it shift around you. Um, that That's really fun to me. And it's really, it, you really have to be present for that. Cause like, like I said, you have to know how to jump out of the way or, or let go in a way that it won't fall on you. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, coordination is pretty important first and foremost with something light um, and then you build up to it. Um, something like a bent press that was, that took me a long time to figure out. I still haven't figured it out, to be honest. Um, I mean, Arthur Saxon, I think he put somewhere close to 300, maybe 400 pounds overhead. And he weighed like nuts, <laughs> less than half of that, which is crazy. Um, and so I thought, oh, maybe I can just, you know, start at body weight. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> it's it it's a very humbling experience and that's what i really appreciated about it um you really had to slow down because nobody wants an injury um so yeah with the bend press i think i started somewhere around 10 pounds um 
which is about five kilos, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's learning to shift your way around it uh, with your 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 shoulder at a, a at a very precarious uh, angle. Um, one small slip and it could be all bad. Um, so yeah, um, pretty much work. It, it's it. You keep it small and light. Figure out the movement, the coordination. Figure out how you shift that. Uh, shift your weight around it or the weight itself, and build up from there. That's that's pretty much how I would uh, recommend starting. Yeah, it's kind of like you also have to set that e- ego aside to be like you know I'm gonna I'm gonna start with the broomstick. I'm gonna start with the five kilos or or even nothing, right? Just to learn the coordination before starting to load it, which um, say if you're coming from a history where you're like heavy deadlifting, heavy squatting, you know, you're already sucked into, I guess, the habit or the mindset of going, I want as many weight plates on this as possible, right? But um, I think it, you know, uh, strength is somewhat transferable, but you know, I think you always have to be cautious then when you're going outside the realms of what is normally practiced to go, okay, like maybe you can't, as you mentioned, just jump straight into the body weight bent arm press because uh, that could end quite badly if you somehow even get that overhead. For sure. I mean, even even with something that's uh, less unconventional at least it's on its way to becoming less unconventional is something like the jefferson curl i mean that you still have to start light because we have been training in a world where we've always been told to keep our spine neutral and we train it in every compound lift in that way so we're not really used to segmenting our spine with weight um and it it's 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 very hard for people to learn that exercise because they may be very good at deadlifting 400 500 pounds but to start with the bar is very very hard for a lot of people or even less um and um yeah it it's it's something that you yeah the ego is 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 hard to tame in the in these situations but if you have the interest um, and the luxury of time and space where people aren't looking at you while you're uh, failing miserably or, or looking very awkward or silly. Um, it, it can be very rewarding once you build up a certain level of proficiency. I've seen you um, training recently, like the Zercher Grip with Jefferson Curls. Um, yeah, maybe if you don't mind, like what have you noticed with um, using that variation as opposed to, you know, just holding a kettlebell or a barbell in in the normal sort of grip, how does it change the movement? For me, I found that it was, um, I was able to include my thoracic spine a little bit better. Um, And it it saved me a lot of time from setting up in uh, for for a regular Jefferson curl, because you have to um, find a stable surface that's high enough that you can Mm. roll all the way down to your full depth um, without annoying gym goers because you're using their weight plates to to stack on top of each other and it'll take you 20 minutes to set up and then 20 minutes to break it down um and also it can be safer because um some people are not used to being so high up with weight Mm -hmm. and themselves down so like i said um coordination uh is is a factor there so if people 
aren't used to that, a Zurcher grip may be easier. Um, less setup and you're less wobbly, you're less high up. Um, that fear component of tipping forward or rolling backwards is uh, lessened. Um, and um, I thought it was just, it just looked cool. <laughs> 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 um, it's, 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 it's a, it's a cool way to hold something. Um, and it, it can look silly and, and, and uh, non, um, that's what I'm looking for, uh, non-functional, but I, I always argue with like, how do you, how do you carry huge bags of groceries multiple? Like, yeah, you stack you... it on your arms like that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, if I make a grocery haul, um, and I live in an area where you have to make one big grocery trip, um, for the last uh, entire week, I, I don't like going back and forth from the car. So I'll try to get as many as I can. And I just carry it just like that. I mean, and also if you ever had to pick someone up, up off the floor or, or, or carry somebody, it's a very similar kind of movement. So I would argue that it's, it's kind of functional. Yeah. Um, I think that point that you raised about how, you, you know, you're closer to the floor um, and you can just, uh, you know, perform the Jefferson curl, not at height. Um, yeah. That's, uh, um, that's an interesting point because I know, guiding people through the Jefferson curl where I've added elevation it, you know, the fear is a real thing, especially, um, people might have like quite a big tendency to keep on leaning back, uh, away from the feet where, you know, if you lean forward, you can increase in, increase that, that loading. Um, but they don't want to do that because, you know, it can feel like you're going to tip over. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's one, uh, I might start playing around with even just for that purpose. I'm sure I'll discover a, a lot more other things um, and different sort of uh, uh, feelings within my body as I, as, as I do it. But um, I think even for, for that point alone with um, accessibility um, for other people, um, that that's a nice one. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun one. Um, I also liked how it felt on my shoulder blades, just pulling me a little bit deeper, um, encouraging more protraction, um, yeah. Any other, uh, um, I guess, interesting movements that have been favorite projects of yours? Um, you know, other than the the barbell windmill, we talked about the um, uh, uh, the, the um, Ben um, Press. Like uh, any other ones that um, come to mind? I mean, I'm always messing around on the rings. Um, it's it's funny because you see, you know, impressive people on Instagram with calisthenics and they can do all these crazy things on rings and they, it looks so easy. Um, no, it's not that easy. <laughs> uh, the stability factor is, is, is quite humbling as well. So I'm, I'm always trying to learn how to incorporate uh, movements I'm already familiar with, with a barbell or body weight to the rings. Um, it's an interesting sensation and, uh, Something I've been playing with is um, transitioning from like weighted push-ups with a plate on my back um, or just regular push-ups or whatnot to ring push-ups. I was like, oh shit, I can do this now. Cool. Um, is there a way to add weight? And so I've been playing with that a little bit and that's been really fun to mess with. Um, ring muscle-ups, skin the cats, uh, ring flows. Um, that's something I'm slowly starting to dabble with. And what else? getting into more like uh, floor flow movement, um, incorporating spinal waves into that. 
uh, to keep things fun and interesting. Um, and I have an interest in soft acrobatics as well, but, um, you know, there's a lot going on. So it's a little bit at a time. Th th those, those are the main things right now. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you know, um, looking forward to, to seeing your explorations keep on going into all these different fields and, um, you know, uh, seeing how the rest of your recovery keeps on tracking as well. Um, uh, I think one of the other maybe areas that I did want to touch on before we start wrapping up is, um, I don't know where it was, but I think, uh, it must've been a while ago where you shared actually, um, where you're training with your parents. And I think it was like in their, in their garage. Um, and I thought that was really interesting because sometimes, you know, we're so close to something and, um, we want to share it with the closest people around us, but sometimes that can be the hardest thing to do as, as well. So, uh, what's it to just ask you about, you know, like, um, do you, do you, do you train your parents? And if that's the case, like, how has that been going and how did you, how did you approach it? Uh, yes, I do train my parents and I also train my grandmother. Um, and so I, yes, I, I wanted to share this, all of this with them very early on when I got started as well, but it, it was a very hard trying attempt. Um, and I realized quickly on just like my parents, and with clients, if they don't want something, they're not going to do it. <laughs> if, if they don't approach you for something and you try to push something onto them, they're not going to do it. No matter how hard you try, no matter how much you express you care and you think that this can help and benefit them, it's not going to work. Um, so it's, it's, it's just something that I tried very hard, very early on. Um, and then I took a break from, and, uh, that was five years ago, maybe. And it was only in the last year or so that my mom approached me and she's like, Hey, <laughs> um, you know how you were offering to like train us or teach us a few things. Do you, do, do you think you're available or do you be open to that now with, you know, your dad and I, um, and maybe grandma, I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, so it, I think that, um, you can't really force anything, um, at all. And you have to wait and be patient. And, um, and I think that them watching me continue doing what I do for so long with the attention and level of detail that I have, um, it made them more curious and they knew that it wasn't like this interesting, cool thing that I was just doing. Like I, they, I think they've seen how it's had a really good impact on my life. Um, and, uh, they wanted it, uh, some aspect of it for themselves. And so, um, I was really, really happy when she asked, I jumped on that right away. And uh, we train uh, nothing crazy once a week. And once a week is enough if you have enough intensity and uh, a, pr a progression to, to work with. And um, I also train my grandmother once a week. Uh, we visit her at her home. Uh, she recently had a, a hip injury and hip uh, surgery. Um, it's her first injury ever. So she, it, it took her a while to learn about that and how mm -hmm. she could heal and get better from that. And, 
all that kind of stuff. So I work with her on mainly squats, just getting up and out of her wheelchair and back down safely. So, um, yeah, that's, it's, I'm so happy that she asked. <laughs> well, it's amazing stuff. And yeah, I think that message is really important that the person they need to, they need to want it and to, to make that request. Um, and it's not our responsibility to try and push all these things that maybe we're into onto, onto others, because as you say, like it can just fall flat or maybe even push that person away from the, the thing that you're trying to share as well. Absolutely. I think that a curiosity and an interest is almost mandatory for, for any kind of practice because, um, it has to, it has to come from that place to be meaningful and sustainable. Um, and we've been at it for a year and a half now. And it's it's really cool to see because they've never trained before. Um, and and, 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 and in retrospect, just thinking about it, they never really needed it before because they were fairly active before this whole digital age of convenience, yep. right? They were walking a lot. They were, my mom was gardening forever. My dad's a, a carpenter, so he's always been physically active and they've been taking daily walks. My mom swims every day. Mm-hmm. So like they, they, they keep moving, but um, they were interested in the strength aspect um, as they get older. And, um, you know, just um, little things like my mom being able to carry um, bags of compost from one place to another without any pain mm-hmm. or squat for long periods of time and tend to her garden. My dad, um, who's, who's still working, you know, making his, his job a little bit easier uh, for him. Um, and my grandmother being able to get uh, up and out of her wheelchair and so forth. Um, it's, it's, it's really, really, uh, it's really, really nice to see. Do all they, um, as they say, like all the beginner gains happened as, as quick as they do, um, you know, for, for them as well? Absolutely. I was like, like I knew in theory that it, it it's 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 supposed to happen, but to see it in practice was amazing because my parents are in their late sixties. Um, my dad's turning 68, 69 this year, and so never having trained before, um, they started with a barbell, and in about six months' time, just once a week, uh, they were they worked their way up to um, bodyweight deadlift pretty easily wow. without any had any setbacks my mom was amazed because she's kind of like that's 135 pounds of 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 metal that's yeah. that's not easy to lift i'm like no but you did it <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome yeah that is really cool <laughs> so, and and getting over the fear of putting weight over their head is it was another really cool thing to see as well because um they have some shoulder restrictions reaching overhead um, and so mm-hmm. putting weight over their head and being in control of that, um, that has also been really nice to see because then my mom can stop, uh, asking my dad for help on getting things up top and, <laughs> <laughs> and she can feel more, more, uh, more capable and all that kind of stuff. And my dad can be, um, can take, take more breaks from that. Well, it's been wonderful talking with you, Tasha and finding out all about your, um, yeah, your, your approach and what you're doing and what you're sharing. Um, I wanted to ask you as a, as a film student then, 
what what is your favorite film you know if you could recommend to the listeners out there what would you um point them towards Oh my gosh. doesn't have to be one let's say you know if you can't choose just one you can make it three or however many Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> um I would say all-time favorites that I've I've gone back to watch more than once uh are probably um um see there's a film called Closer that I really liked um and then there's another film uh called In Bruges with um Colin Farrell which is a just the humor if you if you're a fan of like dry dark humor with a lot of profanity it's great it's amazing um I would I would go on that um and another one that I really liked um recently that I thought it was interesting probably not a favorite but an interesting one is um uh two the menu um and also triangle of sadness which is an interesting one um to watch when it comes to being capable uh, in a modern world and uh when technology and everything is taken away from you Mm-hmm. you can still survive Awesome. Well, you know, I only know In Bruges at, from that that list, you know, it's a very interesting film. Um, but yeah, we'll check those other ones out. But thank you for today, Tasha. Hope to keep on chatting with you, um, messaging back and forth. Um, I will try the the alternate video review approach and, and let you know as well. But thanks once again for your time. Absolutely. Likewise, it was great to be here and it's nice to finally connect and, and chat. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. That's episode 78 wrapped. Thanks to Tasha for joining us on the podcast. Really happy to connect with Tasha, who has been a longtime listener and we have been chatting back and forth over the years. So it was really great to feature her story, find out a little bit more about her and share that with you guys. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me direct. You can find my details at Instagram, at Fayon P, at P-H-A-O-N-P, or you can jump over onto the website at thepassivehang.com. All right, guys. Well, I'd love to hear from you. If you have any recommendations for any future guests or want to find out any more different areas of movement that I haven't yet explored or shared on the podcast, please get in touch. Otherwise, I'll see you guys in the next episode.